Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another episode of our Locker Room Podcast, where we answer your Detroit Lions questions live on the Locker Room app. Download the Locker Room app on your iOS device to join us live every Saturday morning, usually at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Today we're doing a little bit early, early bird special. Uh, My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief at Pride of Detroit. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Eric Schlitt at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. How are we doing, buddy? I'm doing good, bud. And Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. How you doing, Ryan? I'm sunburnt. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. I I I'm back from vacation, and it's like I'm I'm right back into uh, vacation land here. It's it's sunny and and hot and uh, almost summertime. That's that's exciting. I'm sunburnt. <laughs> okay, I guess maybe <laughs> there are there are ends to that spectrum. Yes, but yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay. Summertime also means uh, Lions football, and we've already had our first taste of Lions taking the field with um, rookie minicamp last week. OTAs start this upcoming week, um, but we're going to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Maybe it's rookie minicamp, maybe it's OTAs, maybe it's other stuff. Um, the, The cool thing about these locker room sessions is we will answer just about any question that you have about the Detroit Lions. And if you're here live, uh, you get to ask us directly. And so how this works is we bring live speakers here on the show, kind of like a call and radio show. And without further ado, let's just get right into it. Let's start with John. John, you are with us. How you doing, John? Not too bad. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, the question I guess I have is I, there's a lot of tight ends on the roster, and it seems like even the ones that were there from before, I don't really know. Like, Fells and Hawkinson are fine. Um, but of the other tight ends, um, what do you guys know about them? What have you seen about them? Who's your maybe top two that you think might actually make the – the team, because even um, the two that were there before, Thetford and Elise, um, high hopes, but I don't really know much about any of them. Do you know, have you seen or heard much yet, or how can they catch, can they block? Yeah, I'll probably be throwing this one to Eric since you've at least had a, a little bit of a look at him so far. But it's an interesting question because the, the tight end position has really been shaken up behind TJ Hawkinson with, you know, uh, Hill retiring, then, then you know, you bring in Fells and... Um, Hunter Bryant, it looks like, is going to miss some time, maybe the entire 2021 season. We're still not sure what's going on there. So, so yeah, uh, Eric, what are your what are your takes on the guys basically TE3 and, and below? Yeah, I, I think it's all up in the air, uh, and that's why they have so many of them, right? Um, Elise, is, Elise Mack is the biggest name. Uh, he, was a, he was a big name at Notre Dame. He was uh, drafted uh, – I'm sorry, I don't – I, he was either drafted later, went undrafted, but he spent some time with the Saints. So he mm-hmm. has a history with, with Dan Campbell. Uh, 
from a potential standpoint, he's the guy who may have the highest ceiling, but he's been in the league bouncing around a couple of years and he's never really caught on. Uh, Thedford is another guy who has, you know, kicked around a little bit, but he's get, he, he was the first of this group that was brought in. So the fact that they identified him first gives him a chance. Um, Houseman is uh, a blocking tight end, almost purely blocking tight end, uh, whereas Brock Wright and then the newly signed uh, Charlie Taumau Payeo, I think it is, um, he was he was uh, had a tryout with the Lions in rookie minicamp, and then he did well enough in the tryout to earn a spot despite all the other uh, guys being signed. Now, uh, Charlie and Brock Wright are both guys that are capable of being H-backs, and, and that's a unique – uh, attribute that I think the the Lions are looking for. With Josh Hill, they had that uh, H-back potential tight end where you don't have that um, in Hawkinson or Darren Fells. Hawkinson's going to have a completely different role. Fells is going to be a more of a pure number two. So if they're looking for an H-back because – Maybe Cabinda and Bowden aren't, they don't want a traditional fullback on the roster. Maybe those guys aren't playing well enough to justify a spot. An H back could be a sneaky guy to make his way into the roster. Um, all of them are really good blockers, and that's why they're on the team. And I, I think it's going to be a really interesting battle. The fact that they added uh, Charlie at, at, after a tryout tells us that, you know, nothing is really settled. So, uh, I do think it's very much up in the air. Uh, you know, when Ben Johnson, the uh, tight ends coach for the Lions, spoke uh, to yep. the media last week, he said, "We're not going to have the three blessed blocking tight ends or the three best, you know, catching tight ends. We have to have a mix." But the what was interesting was he was saying three, which means there's only three spots, right? Yeah, it would be very surprising if they kept a fourth uh, from, you know, what the sounds of it. So with Hawkinson and Fells pretty much locked in. You've got a, a, a five-way battle uh, for that third spot, and uh, I don't think anything is there's. I don't think there's a clear front runner right now. And and yeah, you bring up Ben Johnson. the The other interesting thing is, I think he was asked directly, like, what is what is he looking for in the depth of that position? Is it is it an H back? Is it whatever this? And he basically said, I don't know yet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're 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 not locked into a certain skill set at that TE spot because we we need to know what what we have on the field first. Yeah, I mean, look, that, and if they aren't going to keep a fullback, maybe an H-back becomes the fourth tight end. You know what I mean? Like, right. So there's there's a lot of ways that they can go. But, I mean, I'm looking at Mac, Thedford, Wright, Hausman, Charlie, Cabinda, and Bowden. Probably two of those two from that group is going to make it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the question, John. Thanks, guys. All right. Let's bring in our next guest here. We've got Dan waiting on the line. Dan, how are you doing? Um, but, unless I have very nice. Dan, are you there? Oh, hi, hi, sorry. Sorry, my son was talking to me. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, you're good, you're good, no worries. All right, well, actually, ironically enough, he, he, he never hears when I'm up. I'm in Cali, so it's like 6 a.m. here, but he was just oh, wow. this Harry Radcliffe uh, video, and it turns out his girlfriend's from Flint, and they're oh, fans and Red Wings fans as well, so a bit of side knowledge. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no worries. Apologies. But, yeah, no, I was, I was really interested. I actually... Actually, I've been up a little bit, um, and I've watched a few of those media sessions, and I got a linebacker question because I'm kind of just confused because I found Mark DeLeon probably one of the most interesting coaches to watch because I think he was probably the most cagey and didn't give away too much stuff. Yeah. But I was curious because obviously him and Todd Wash, and and 
I guess it's a sprawling question, which is just a part of the course for me. But um, with Todd Walsh and the outside linebackers and Trey, and then you've got the off-the-ball guys with Mark, I just I think about like how we were talking about like Michael Parsons going at nine or at seven, but then the two Devins were going at five. So what do you think linebackers in the Lions are going to be like next year? Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Uh, it's an interesting question because yeah, I I think you're you're spot on with Mark DeLeon. Like he did not seem too enthusiastic to be in front of the media and, and very kind of uh, short-winded with his answers, whereas Todd Walsh was basically saying everything. You know, He was telling what everyone's going to play and, and what formations and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Ryan, do you have kind of an idea of, of what this linebacker crew is going to look like? And, yeah, I, I think the, the most surprising news, as, as you kind of alluded to there, is uh, Trey Flowers being an outside linebacker more so in, in base 3-4 sets than uh, being that edge defender guy. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that was the most interesting news because it, it seems like it's going to be a big change <clears throat> from what we've seen from Trey Flowers so far in his Lions career. So um, having him up and having him off the line and having him play off off uh, you know that outside linebacker role is is going to be <clears throat> is going to be interesting. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it though. Like I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be like a breath of fresh air on the defense where it's like, you know, a guy that we've seen, um, you know, who, you know, let, let's not get things twisted. I mean, the, the Lions defense has struggled quite a bit um, and it, it's really limited how impactful, I guess, Trey Flowers can be in terms of the box score. Um, so maybe this will give him a chance to to kind of show up on that box score a little bit more playing that outside linebacker role. But um, to your overall question, Jeremy, like, it, it almost kind of like mirrors the, the tight end depth. Like it's like, I, I don't really see a whole, I, I don't see a clear picture at all with, with how the whole linebacking crew is going to shake out. I'm, 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 I'm sure Eric has a, a better, a better idea though. Yeah. I mean, look, um, in my mind, they have three types of linebackers. They have your pure pass rushing linebackers, uh, like Trey Flowers, Austin Bryant, uh, even Romeo could be included in that group. Uh, Charles Harris probably as well. And then you have guy, and, and those guys are going to be asked to occasionally to keep offenses honest. They're going to occasionally drop. Uh, but then you're going to have guys that are almost purely off the ball. Uh, Alex Anzalone, Jalen Reeves, Mabin. Uh, those guys are going to be in the middle of the defense pretty much all whenever they're on the field. And then there's going to be these hybrid players like your Derek Barnes who can play off the ball, but you can also drop him to an edge spot if you want to, you know, start disguising intentions. Um, Anthony Pittman does the same thing. They used Anthony Pittman uh, like that. And previously in the previous regime, they used him like that. Uh, this regime used him like that in minicamp. Uh, and I do b- still believe that Julian Aquara's uh, ceiling is to be that type of player as well, a guy that you can line up off the ball or uh, on the edge. And and we've seen that from Jamie Collins in the past as well. So um, I do think the future – is to get a bunch of linebackers that can do both, right? Right. And they've got a they've got three of them on the roster right now, and I think that or four of them maybe if if you include Collins. So you're there's going to be a role for a guy who is is only off the ball, but that guy is going to have to cover, and then the other off the ball guy 
is going to you're they're going to want them to be a, a hybrid player, and then you're going to have your pure pass rushers as well. So it, it's it's a little different than what we've seen in the past, and the a priority on athleticism is a huge difference. Um, but it's it's really kind of it, it, there, there's some interesting wrinkles. Like I still don't know what they're going to do with Jelani Tabai. I know. Uh, um, I know the the line uh, Delon, De Leon, De Leon yeah. talked about him, um, you know, Tavai being an important player and losing weight, and maybe he plays at the mic, and maybe he's, uh, you know, they try and get him on the edge a little bit more, uh, like he did at Hawaii. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm very interested to see OTAs and uh, mandatory minicamp in the next few weeks to really see what their plan is for Tavai because it's it's still that's still kind of unclear. So, you know, like Ryan said, there's there's still a lot of mysteries around exactly how the pieces are going to fit into this group. The, and, and if I can just kind of bounce off the, the conversation a little bit here, because there's a lot of talk about this three, four base and how, you know, Trey Flowers, who basically has, you know, 20 outside linebacker snaps and average in his career per season. Um, but that's the base defense. And, and we, we've talked about it with previous regimes before. How often is a team actually in their base defense? How often are they in nickel? How often are they in dime? And, and so how big of a role change is this going to be for, for someone like Trey Flowers? Because, you know, I, I, I do expect them to be in 3-4 often, and it's your base, so there is there's going to be a change there. But I guess, and, and Eric and I have talked about this already a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's not going to be a, a, a an enormous change. And, and, you know, Wash said himself, you know, Flowers will, right, will be right back in that edge defender role when they go into dime, when they go into nickel, presumably, as well. Um, so I, I guess right, I'll throw this to you, Ryan. Do, do you think it's it's really going to be that drastic of a change, or maybe is this just kind of an overreaction to, you know, the just the words base defense? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of explained it well there, in, in the sense that we've heard, you know, especially from the previous regime, like how often they're in their their base defense and how you know, you know, even when they signed Justin Coleman, it was like that's that was such an important signing because. How often are the Lions are you know switching to their nickel defense and, and things like that? So, um, I, I, situa- situationally, I think what that's what it's going to be most interesting is seeing probably the Lions in that base defense and seeing Flowers playing that outside linebacker as a as a as a pass rusher um, rather than kind of the role that he was in um, in the previous regime. But I, I think I think you're more, you're I think you're more spot on than than not for sure. The, the one thing I wanted to jump in here and, and talk about is that I, I think how this defense adjusts to nickel is going to be very different than what we saw with the last regime. Mm-hmm. With the last regime, it was swap a linebacker out, bring a defensive back in. It's, I don't think it's going to be like this. If they are truly modeling this off the Rams, like it appears that they are, uh, this defense will swap the nose tackle out for mm-hmm. a defensive back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like the nose tackle is, is about a 50% of the, uh, is only on the field about 50% of the time. So there's going to be times when you have three defensive linemen and three linebackers and uh, five defensive backs. But then there's right. also going to be times when there's only two defensive linemen, four linebackers and five defensive backs. So they're going to get their nickel looks in different situations. Whereas before the last defense was just very predictable. You know, when the, when this guy left and this guy came on, you knew what the defensive switch was going to be. And I don't think you're going to get that as often. You're going to see a lot of 
it's going to be, you know, while Aquara and Flowers are going to be outside linebackers, there's going to be a significant amount of time when they just have two guys with their hand in the dirt and Flowers is still going to be playing essentially a defensive end role. He'll just be doing it from a standing position. Uh, which allows them to disguise, right? They, which allows them to drop him if they want to blitz an inside linebacker like Barnes or something, right? So, uh, how they adjust to nickel and dime is, I think, where, where we're really going to see the big differences. Thank you so much. Uh, that was, that was great. Um, I, you actually answered my sneaky add on question there, Eric. I, I really appreciate you guys and thanks a lot. Thank, thank you for joining us bright and early, Dan. Appreciate it and appreciate the question. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be answering more of your Lions questions as we get ready for OTAs, for mini mandatory minicamp, and not too far in the future, preseason. So stick with us on our Locker Room Q&A podcast. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back here on our Locker Room Q&A session here on the Locker Room app. Again, download the Locker Room app on your iOS device. Join us for free every Saturday morning, usually 10.30 a.m. Today, a little bit more earlier. Let's, uh, let's jump right back into questions. Let's waste no time. Daniel is on the line. Daniel, can you hear us? I can hear you. How you guys doing? Good, Daniel. How are you? Good. Yeah, 6 a.m. where I am here, too. But yeah, <laughs> never mind. Love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I wanted to go back. We had a good conversation a couple of weeks ago about uh, Dan Campbell and, you know, changing the culture mm-hmm. and how the team is, you know, uh, I think Eric agreed that the, you know, that the culture is uh, taking on the identity of the coach. Yeah. But I think I, I go back to Dan Campbell's original press conference, and I think it was kind of unfortunate in a way that there was so much emphasis on the kneecap biting. Mm -hmm. Um, because what 
it seems to me what Dan Campbell was saying was really more was more profound that the team is going to take on the identity of the city. Right. And I think that's really and and I will just say, I mean, I haven't lived in in, you know, I haven't set foot in Michigan in decades, let's be honest, but, you know, still have that connection to the Lions. So, you know, when he first said that, I thought, you know, that's really interesting because he's coming from New Orleans and, and, and the way that. New Orleans took on the identity of the city after Katrina, that they'd been Mm -hmm. knocked down. But uh, the other thing that I started thinking about is what Al Davis did with the with the Raiders. And and let me say, I hate the Raiders, (laughs) whatever. And I even lived in Oakland. But um, but, you know, it was really kind of brilliant that he because he brought in players who were like renegades or outlaws. You know, they kind of have that image. And that really fit with the, you know, the identity of, of Oakland, which is sort of like the downtrodden city compared to San Francisco and, and you know, the headquarters for Hell's Angels. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I think that was really interesting because he attracted a certain kind of player and a certain kind of style. And, you know, I think that also really excited the, the fan base and there was kind of a synergy. So... You know, asking as someone who, you know, has barely even been in the state. I mean, do you think that that's is that working? Is that is the team taking on the identity of Detroit? That's that's a really good question. Um, And I I feel like it's an interesting point because it's it's something we hear a lot. Right. Like how many times have we heard a a Lions coach, you know, of, of any era? say like we're trying to be a blue collar team you know that that's the buzzword the blue collar team the blue collar identity the the factory worker mentality sort of thing and uh i don't know i i think usually it kind of rings hollow but there is something to be said about dan campbell being that guy i mean i think more telling than his press conference was the moment he he went to a ford factory and talked with Ford employees and like had that speech in front of Ford employees where he like he started sitting down, but like the intensity was just there that he had to start standing up and like swearing and like really taking on um, something that that seemed genuine um, more so than just, you know, Matt Patricia up there and just saying the buzzwords blue collar. Um, but in terms of the, the players, I think that's that's another thing to, to think about. Um, and I'll pass it to, to one of you guys, Ryan. Let's start with you, Ryan. Do you think that the the players that the Lions have started to bring in kind of have that same mentality? And and it's you know it's valid. It's not just a, a buzzwordy type of thing. Yeah. So I'm going to start with um, the the Russian Five documentary <clears throat> that mm. Jeff Daniels w- was a part of. Yeah. <clears throat> he had a really great quote about like the mentality when it comes to Michigan and when it comes to like you know Metro Detroit and everything. And it's it's this idea of like you know, the the guy next to you in line, he might, you know, at, at your job, he might have went to like an Ivy League school or he might have went to like a school that, you know, you know, you went to Central Michigan, but that, that other guy went to like Brown or he went to like Cornell or something. And it's like, well, I have to outwork you just based on where you came from. And I think that a lot of the players that the Lions have brought in this year have been like, I mean, they've been like castoffs. They've been guys, they're, they're reclamation projects, the Brashad Perrymans, the Tyrell Williams, the, um, and, and even some of the guys that they drafted, they seem like they have like a genuine chip on their shoulder. Like, you know, on Zawerke. like this is a guy who like played at Washington and it's like, well, he wasn't Vita Vea and, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't this. And, you know, he, he might've been a first round pick, but the defensive tackles were so weak and, you know, like even Penny Sewell, like, you know, being like a viewed as like a generational pick. But like even myself, I, I was somebody who was like, well, you know, he didn't play in the Big Ten. He didn't have the level of competition that Rashawn Slater had. 
so it's like there's all all these things that like a lot of people can poke through and poke holes through it i agree with you jeremy like generally this stuff is kind of hollow but i i i genuinely believe that like dan campbell is getting players and 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 beyond that like he's getting a coaching staff that like yeah, I, I think that are, that are all they're all here to prove themselves, and they they have players who are here to prove themselves that they belong in the NFL. And um, I, I I'm to borrow a quote from Dan Campbell, my favorite Dan Campbell quote that he uses all the time. That gets me fired up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I, yeah. With the with the draft picks, you see it a lot. Um, like Ryan just said, uh, Anzawerki or uh, Onzarike, geez, oh, Pete's, uh, said he was expecting to go in the first round. And if you watch the McNeil documentary, he was, uh, expecting to go near the later parts of the first round. He was thinking he might go, uh, even uh, Jefferson, right? Uh, Jefferson Especially was the Jefferson. biggest one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Jeff- Jefferson thought he had a third or fourth round grade and uh, he had a fifth round grade for me. So the fact that he was still there with the third to last pick in the draft, he was extraordinarily upset about that. Um, even St. Brown. St. Yeah, Brown. I had 14 guys, 14 receivers rated in the top 100 that I expected to go and 12 of them went. Uh, and he was one of the ones that didn't. And he was a guy who I had ranked much higher. He was um, – actually, I think it was more than that, actually. I think it was 15 that went. Um, he was in the top 10 for me. He ended up being like the 14th receiver drafted or – no, there's 15 ahead of him, right? That's what it, That was the quote. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect him to still be there. And you could see what he was doing like with the jugs machine, right? He's like, okay, I didn't get drafted. I'm going to go work out in the jugs machine and prove that I'm I'm better. Like they all have they all have a, a demeanor that does, I, I think, match the coaching staff. And I mean, look, the coaching staff matches the personality. Just look at Hank Fraley uh, from earlier uh, in his press conference earlier in the week when he said, I didn't want to go anywhere else because this city is exactly who I am as a person yeah. and they represent the same things that I rep- am as, as, as a coach, as a, as a husband, as a dad. And so like he is, he sees himself as part of this city. And so the coaching staff, I think enable embodies a lot of this mentality as well. And that's why they're here. I don't think while, while we look at it and we say, okay, you know, maybe it was, we're not, we're looking at the Dan Campbell was targeting coaches that, you know, were quality coaches. I also think he was targeting coaches that, uh, you know, maybe felt like maybe they should have got a shot earlier than they did, or that they should have had a bigger role. Like Deuce Staley should have been uh, an assistant head coach way before this year. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, Anthony Lynn just got fired and now he's promoted. Wash got fired. And you know what I mean? Like, so a lot of these guys have a chip um, coaching staff on, Yep, hundred percent agree. Good question, Daniel, and uh, I think I think we thoroughly answered it up and down. Oh, you too. did. No, that's great. <laughs> a lot of a lot of good insight. Yeah, thanks. You know, I just think like, you know, I've I've talked to people who like lived. Uh, you got a friend who's you know uh, grew up in Detroit in the fifties. You know, and it, like when mm-hmm. that was when Detroit was flourishing. You know, and it was such a and it was such a great city then. And I think yeah, and that's when Bobby Lane was playing. So right, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's yeah, yep. all right. Time to get back up, guys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, hopefully uh, we get there. Obviously, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but uh, most people are feeling pretty optimistic about at least the vision of, of what this team is is trying to be. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, let's get into our next 
questionnaire. Uh, Connor is on the line. Connor, can you hear us? Hey, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Hi, so I have a question about the uh, offensive line. So I know we have three quality pieces. We have Sewell, Decker, and Ragnow. But what about the future of the guard spots? Jackson looked pretty good as a rookie. Uh, I'm not too sure about Stenberg. We only have Vitae for another season. So could you just talk about uh, the long-term outlook for the guards? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, that's definitely the biggest question on the offensive line. I think right now you can pencil in Jonah Jackson for for at least the next couple of years. Um, I, I think you're right in that he had a promising rookie season. But, um, you know, who, who knows where it goes from there? I think uh, – a lot of times we kind of assume that trajectory is always up with NFL players, but not necessarily. He's still got a lot of work to do, but that right side is definitely the biggest question. And I think, I think it probably starts with Halapuli Vati Vaitai. And, and Eric, we, we heard a little bit about the coaching staff talk about him this, this week. Um, uh, are you, are you of belief that maybe his arrow is trending up? Well, I mean, if he can stay healthy, right? Yeah. I, and yep. I think the coaches believe that he can be better than he showed last year because he was constantly injured. And one of the things Fraley talked about was that what he liked most about Vitae last year was that he was uh, pushing through the injury. And he, right. he basically said there, he was injured every game. And, and so there were games that he was forced to miss and games that he was able to play in. But even the games he played in, he was fighting through stuff. So we, we've we never really seen what Vitae is actually capable of yet. Uh, he's a big body guy and he's going to fit that uh, stylistic approach that they want to be – to bully people. Um, guard is probably going to be a better opportunity for him, uh, especially – Lining up between Sewell and Ragnow, that's going to make life a lot easier for him as well. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily handed to him. I do think there's going to be a competition. I know a lot of people have written Crosby off, uh, but I think he might get a look there. Uh, I'm not sold on Stenberg, and that's only because the last time we saw him, he was not very good. Uh, but <laughs> That was a year ago, though. <laughs> Right. And, and and I think what a lot of people uh, don't always understand is that we, uh, even though as credentialed writers, we don't get access to uh, them practicing. We get access to them doing warm-ups, doing positional drills during the season, but we don't get to see Stenberg line up with an offensive line and see how he's developing. So a whole season of development has gone on where we haven't really seen anything from him. Right. Yeah. And so it's possible he comes into training camp or OTAs here next week and he's made progressions because, you know, remember it, we saw that happen with Dan, with uh, Matt Nelson. He yeah. didn't look like anything. And then all of a sudden he came, he showed up the following year and he developed and, and, and uh, Fraley had turned him into a, a capable backup. Right. And so maybe this, the same type of thing happens with Stenberg. The problem is we just haven't seen it right. uh, from a mentality standpoint. He fits that role perfectly. That's well. what I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. yeah. He's, he's an angry guy who wants to bury you. And, and that is exactly what they want. So, can he catch up talent wise? That's a good question. We'll we'll find that out soon. Uh, you know, I so uh, will guard be on the mix 
uh, in future drafts and for, or free agency? Yeah, I absolutely think it will. Uh, I think they have four pieces and they're looking for the fifth. And is that fifth going to, you know, find themselves a permanent home out of this group? I don't know, but you know, they're, they're bringing options in, you know, Tommy Kramer from the undrafted kid out of Notre Dame. He's going to get a shot at it. Um, and then Drake Jackson is one of my favorite UDFAs. He's probably just going to be settled in at center, but again, a backup center is, is an important spot. So that interior, there's going to be some things that haven't been settled just yet. I think the tackles are, are uh, pretty settled. The interior, though, not so much. Ryan, do you have any uh, leaders in the clubhouse, I guess, of, of maybe not only just the guard positions this year, but for the future? Yeah, I, I think for the guard position this year, it seems like it has to be Vitae. Um, I, I, I think I'm just leaning that way for, for some of the reasons that Eric already stated. But w- what we saw last year out of Vitae, and, and for his – for as much as people piled on top of him for his play, like the dude was clearly going through stuff with that foot. I mean, like it, it was, it was a season long thing. So um, I think that he's kind of like the leader in the clubhouse now, but I truly don't think that like your right guard of the future is on the team right now. Um, you know, like there's just so many question marks. Like you, you've already, you've already covered a lot of it, Eric, but it's like just question marks about like, has Stenberg progressed? Um, who like, Kramer's a UDFA that's cool but like we don't know much about him like what like that's what makes the season for of Lions football so interesting is that there's like so much intrigue and mystery about like literally every position so yeah, no question um yeah when it when it comes to guard I I, I don't know like w- w- I think Vitae has every opportunity like I think he is the guy until somebody outplays him um but even then like I think a lot of people's perception is, well, like anybody could outplay that guy that I saw last year, but that guy you saw last year, I I, I don't think is the guy who's, who, you know, signed the contract that he signed. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say Vitae now, but going forward, I I truly think like it's, it's, it's a work in. Yeah. And and worth noting that that Vitae signed for three more years after this year. I mean, he signed through 2024. So if he can kind of rebound, Lions have, you know, a, you know, then they would have a formidable offensive line for the future. I mean, I think we've seen all those kind of like graphics that are like, wow, the line's offensive line is set for the future. And Vitae has left off that list, understandably, given <laughs> his play last year. But if he turns things around this year, go ahead and throw him on the list. He's signed through 2024, the same uh, length as I think Decker at this point. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and he's what, 8.4 million cap hit next year. You can, you can save over 4 million of that if he, if he doesn't, if it doesn't play out. But I, I, I've been banging this drum for a couple weeks now. I, I think we're giving up on Vitae a little bit too early. I tell you, I love watching uh, offensive versus defensive line play in camp. It's yeah. so it's so fun. I mean, look, we've stood next yeah. to each other, and I just get dry, we get sucked into that, right? Hundred percent. And um, you know, you, you're going to see Decker and Sewell against Aquara and Flowers. You're going to see Jonah Jackson against. Uh, Unzuerke. you're going to see Frank Ragnow against McNeil, which is going to be a, a trial by fire for McNeil, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but the Brockers versus Vitae, that could low-key be the, like, the battle to watch, right? Yeah. Because if it's not Vitae and it's somebody else, they have the, they're going to have the most experienced defensive linemen lining up across from them to have to prove themselves. So that's going to be a really fun one uh, come OTAs in, in training camp. 
You're, sen- you're sending some chills down my spine, man. I'm starting to get pumped <laughs> up for, for some practice, man. <laughs> That's my job. It's May, it's <laughs> May 22nd. Uh, I'm always... Dude, <laughs> All right. Wet, look, when I, yeah, water, wet blanket that. <laughs> Listen, I, when I was at mini ca- Ricky Minicamp last weekend, it was like... It, it, was the, it was just so exciting to see football again. And I don't, I don't care that it's May. I was like, I saw football on the field and it was, it was a whole bunch of undrafted guys and like trial. And I was like, okay, I'm trying not to get too overly excited about this, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's neat. It's going to give us some information to stew on for the a month and a half of, of summer. And then man, things really get uh, exciting uh, at the end of July. Ryan, why don't you tell us how they weren't in pads so it doesn't mean anything? <laughs> it's Your words, not mine. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the question, Connor. Appreciate uh, you also getting up early to, to join us. Uh, we're going to take our second break here. When we come back, we're going to close out with more of your questions as we get prepared for more of the offseason. We'll, but we'll answer any of your questions. if, you, if you want to, We still haven't talked to Matt Campbell. If anyone wants to talk to Matt Campbell, I know people love talking about that. So we'll answer more of your questions on the other side. We'll be back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Closing out our Locker Room podcast, where we're answering your questions live on the Locker Room app. Let's get right back to it. We've got Todd on the line. Todd, how you doing, man? Are you there, Todd? Hey. Oh, there you go. Oh, sorry about that. Um, no worries. Love the show. Woke up early. I'm in California, too, to listen, but I'm actually wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot but of, a lot of there, West Coasters. Love yeah, it. Yeah, as, as Eric can attest, I have a six-year-old daughter, so I'm up early anyways. There you go. <laughs> um, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, my question is kind of goes towards the offensive line, too, but I'm more curious of the state – of Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota's defensive line. Mm-hmm. How are they ranked? Are they any good? I mean, should we be dominating them this year if our line turns out to be as good as it's supposed to be? I'm just very curious about our rivals' defensive lines. Oof, that's that's a great question. I'm not sure if I'm prepared to answer that. I feel like I've been so hyper-focused on the Lions roster. Haven't taken a, a lot of thought to the rest of the uh, NFC North, but... 
Um, either, either of you guys kind of have a, a feeling that, I mean, obviously the first thing that jumps out to my mind is one, Mike Zimmer has always had a very difficult defensive front to, to defend no matter who's there. And obviously Green Bay with the, the quote unquote Smith brothers. But, um, yeah, I, I'll throw it to you guys. What, what do you guys think about how much of a challenge the division will present that offensive line this year? Yeah, not much has changed in Chicago, right? Yeah. Uh, they still got Knicks. They still got uh, Bilal Nichols. Um, they retained Mario Edwards, and they still have Mac. So, like, right off the bat, Chicago, I think, is still going to be very difficult. Um, and, and Green Bay, it, it's unfortunately the same thing. They've got a lot of the returning uh, players. Uh, you've got the Smiths. You've got Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark. Like, there's a lot of good players that are still there on the defensive line. The thing with Minnesota is I actually think – they're going to be the most suspect of the NFC North. Um, you've, you're down to Steven Weatherly uh, at defensive end opposite uh, Daniel Hunter. Uh, you brought in uh, Dalvin Tomlinson to play the exact same role basically as Michael Pierce. Uh, you don't have any really interior pass rush from them. Uh, and their edge rush has been subdued from what we've seen in the past. So yeah. – um, I actually think Minnesota's the team that the Lions are going to be able to bully up front. Uh, Chicago's going to be super tough, and I think Green Bay will as well. What do you think, Ryan? I like that analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, not not much has really changed with Chicago. I mean, like, Akeem Hicks is still I, – I, personally, I think Akeem Hicks is just, like, the, the biggest monster in, in the division still. Um, yeah, he's incredible. And I – yeah, and I look forward to every single matchup that him and Frank Rag now have against one another because that's just that's just very entertaining football. You know, Eric talked about you know last segment about being able to see offensive linemen versus defensive linemen. Like that's premier that's premier stuff in the NFL. Um, but I, I'm I'm with Eric too. Like there are a lot of questionable decisions that you know Minnesota made, and Daniil Hunter doesn't seem like he's very excited to be in Minnesota. So, um, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, I was gonna say, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. I apologize. No, no, don't apologize. (laughs) This is a, this is a free flowing, loving conversation. I I was excited with where you were going and I wanted to add a point. (laughs) (laughs) The the one thing I'll say, I I do think there's a chance Chicago takes a step back this year too. I mean, they, they lost Roy Robertson Harrison. He wasn't, you know, the biggest, um, threat on that defensive line, but they also lost. I mean, Eric, you and I talked about this before too. They lost so many coaches on that yeah. side of the ball that that. I mean, that could certainly yeah. have a big impact on on their pass rush in general. Yeah, they, I, their linebacker coach went. Yeah, I'm going to leave and go to Detroit, like yeah. for for the same position. Like, yeah, the 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 thing that that look, with the coaching staff in Chicago is they lost like seven coaches. Assistant coaches this offseason because so many of them are smelling blood in the water and they think they don't think that this coaching staff is going to in in the front office is going to be around for long. And so they were just all jumping ship like and that could that could low key have, you know, a lot of impact uh, on how this team plays like the defensive line and offensive line are fun. But like you still got to coach these players up, especially the secondaries, because the secondaries have some suspects. Uh, all across the NFC North. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. 
No problem, Todd. Thank you for the questions. Um, looks like we're out of our, our speaker request queue, so I'm going to go to our website where I asked, uh, and that's another way that you guys can ask questions. Just head to prideofdetroit.com, look for the Ask POD post and, and post in there, or on Twitter using the hashtag Ask POD. Um, Hungry Lion wants us to make some roster predictions here, so some way too early roster predictions. Um what young – let, let's start with defensive tackle because I do feel like that's an interesting position where the Lions – I wouldn't say are stacked, but they have a lot of competition there. Yeah. What defensive tackles do not make the roster this year? Um, Joel Heath, John Atkins, Jay Sean Cornell, Kevin Strong. Oh, man. And it sucks because I love Kevin Strong. But, I, do, um, I know. I'm, I'm upset about a couple of those, like – I I don't know if you saw Sean Cornell put out uh, a, a series of videos on Instagram of him rehabbing from his uh, his Achilles injury. And mm-hmm. Super inspiring, and like he's he looks like he's a full go now, and well, he's going to well, get a chance. But it, I mean, yeah. the odds are just it's unfortunate because the odds are stacked against him because not only is he a seventh round pick, not only is he coming off a serious Achilles injuries, but he's also entering a completely new regime, a completely new scheme, and uh, I mean just. You want to root for a guy like that because the odds are just so stacked against him. Yeah, look, he went to Ohio State as a defensive end. He pushed into the three technique as a junior, started at the three technique as a senior, and now you're asking him to come in and potentially play four I. Like he just doesn't, he hasn't been settled. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's a tough road for this guy, and, and those those injuries are not always easy to to overcome, and you don't always see them return to health in a full year. Look, if they keep a seven. Okay, so like I think Hand, uh, Onzerike, Penasini, McNeil, Brockers, Williams, I think those are the top six. Uh, but if they keep a seven, it's between Cornell and Strong. And I could see either one of those guys uh, stepping up. I do think the, uh, you know, I think it would be tougher for Atkins. Atkins would have to beat out Penasini. But with the new coaching staff, you know, they're not married to Penasini like the old one was. That's, that's what I was going to say. I, I, I was thinking that, like, just with that nose tackle depth there, like, Penasini could be another one of those guys that is just a leftover from a previous regime, and Atkins could totally play his way into, uh, you know, kind of like that nose tackle two spot behind uh, behind McNeil. But, yeah. Yeah, when, when uh, Snacks Harrison left, he said the – defensive lineman that had the most potential on the roster when he left was Atkins. He thought yeah. Atkins could be one of the better players. Let, let me ask you one additional question here before we go back to our, our call in line. Do you think there's any chance to Sean hand is in trouble? Because if the past couple of weeks were any indication, this coaching staff has no ties, no, you know, direct uh, loyalty to that 2018 draft class with with obviously sending carry on Johnson gone and, and potentially putting Terrell Crosby on on the the trade block there. Uh, I don't think he's in trouble because I just think he's so uber talented. Um, the injuries are going to be his biggest hiccup. Like if he yep. gets injured and they and he can't prove himself, yeah, then he's in trouble. But uh, the talent level is is higher than the the rest of the you know, reserve defensive tackles. And so uh, it's, he's, if he stays healthy, man, I don't think anything would stop him. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much exactly what Todd Wash said too this week. He basically said, guy is supremely talented and we just need to keep him on the field. And he, and he said, I thought kind of an interesting quote he said is it's our job to be able to keep this guy on his field. It's our job to maintain this guy's health, which is something I don't know if I've ever really heard a co- coach say, like it's our job to keep these guys healthy. If, if this guy isn't healthy, 
that's on us, um, which is kind of it's kind of refreshing to hear. I don't know how true it is, but it's it's refreshing to hear. Jeremy, well, can I ask? Oh, I'm sorry. Go, Ryan, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say real quick that I think that that makes a lot of sense based on Detroit's kind of strategy in the draft. And I know we're so much like, yeah, they took best player available, but I mean, they really built the depth in terms of the defensive line. Like they're going to be rotating guys in an awful lot. So I feel like that goes hand in hand with that comment of, you know, it's, it's up to us to keep Deshaun hand healthy. And one of the ways to do that is just have a bunch of rotational talented dudes. Sure. So, Jeremy, my question is, and I'm trying to, I'm having a hard time recalling this. Um, do you recall seeing John Schuler, the uh, strength and conditioning coordinator? Do you recall seeing him out on the field during training camp under Patricia? Because I can't recall, uh, but he was everywhere uh, in mini in Ricky mini camp. He was he was there. He was like down with these guys when they were doing power moves. He was like jumping up and chest bumping them. Like he was. <laughs> I mean, like he the, the whole coaching staff had a new level. But I don't recall seeing the strength and conditioning staff on the field under Patricia and I just might not maybe I wasn't looking for it. Yeah. Uh, and I wondered if you could recall that cuz he stood out like a thumb in rookie minicamp. I I can't say that I I probably couldn't pick the guy out of a lineup that's two, that's true. Two, I forgot about that about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, that's an interesting observation and and we we've heard this this staff talk about, you know, the importance of of sports science when it comes to 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 medicine and and keeping players yeah. healthy. So, well they brought yeah. They brought in Joe Costanza for that, right? Right. Yeah. And they brought in Mike Clark for that. So, like, they've they've doubled their strength and conditioning staff from what we've seen previously to try and make these efforts. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be low key, another one of these, like, behind-the-scenes things that nobody pays attention to right. that probably could be really significant. Yep. Uh, kind of went off on a tangent there, but we got some people uh, to the, the one. No, it's, it's everybody's fault. <laughs> um, let, let's uh, Some of our, our previous guests uh, wanted rejoining here, so let's bring Connor back aboard. Connor, what's up, man? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yep. yep. All right, so uh, kind of just going off what you guys were just talking about and uh, I guess just positive attributes about this coaching staff is the transparency and the openness they're kind of giving the fans – yeah. about the scheme and what like so Todd Wash, Mark DeLeon were talking up guys but also talking about Flowers potentially being an outside linebacker in their base scheme so they're they're giving us way more of a peek inside behind the scenes than uh the previous regime yeah so could you guys talk a little bit about what you might think this uh the base and also maybe sub or dime packages would look like uh based off what we know so far of who the starters might be uh, just kind of what you uh, predict that uh, defensive scheme to look like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass this right back to Eric because I know he's basically already kind of created a graphic of what he thinks the, the depth chart looks like. So who's who's that starting front seven in, in a 3-4 uh, in your mind? Yeah, uh, so McNeil's at the nose, uh, and, and Brockers is going to be at that 4-I, what's called their defensive tackle spot. Their defensive end spot is uh, a guy who's going to shift between a 3 and a 5. I think uh, – Levi is going to be the leader right now because he was handpicked by this staff. If he's not going to start, it's going to be because Deshaun Hand outplays him, right? Um, so those that's kind of an unsettled position. Right now I'm giving it to Levi. And then you're going to be flanked at the outside linebacker positions by Flowers and Romeo Aquara. Uh, the corners, are again, are a little bit unsettled because you have four of them that can play outside. 
uh, odds are Jeff Akuda is going to be one of them. And then the Oria versus Dunbar battle on the opposite side. I could see either one of those guys winning it. Um, Tracy Walker is going to uh, linebacker. Linebackers are going to be Collins and uh, Anzalone. And then the safeties are going to be Tracy Walker and then either Will Harris or Marlowe. When they go into their nickels, uh, sometimes it's going to be Anzalone that hits the bench to bring on a nickel. Sometimes it's going to be McNeil that hits the bench to uh, bring on a nickel. Right now, their nickel corner looks to be Corn Elder. Uh, and then if they want to go bigger, they could go in a variety of different directions. If they want three safeties, then you probably have both Will Harris and Marlowe. If you're looking to do um, um, a matchup against a bigger slot receiver, well, that's where Melifanu comes in, right? Like he might not be a starting outside corner, but he's been mentioned more than once about being a guy who can match up with big slots. And so um, the nickel's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but those are that's the basic starting uh rotation from you know as as i can uh you know ascertain at this point sounds good to me that I, i'm everything sounded good up until you got into the secondary which is kind of <sighs> yeah. weird because i almost felt the opposite last yeah. year <laughs> uh all right thanks for the question again connor uh let's move along here as we go to our our final two question askers uh let's go back to daniel Daniel, how's it going? You there, Jan- Daniel? Hello. There we are. How's it going, man? Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hey, listen, great conversation. Everybody's asking great questions, but uh, things that I'm thinking of or haven't thought of. But, you know, I'm just curious. I'd like to hear from Eric a little bit more about these designations on the line. I'm not familiar with the term four I. Okay. And uh, I think it's like super interesting to get an I you know, I get an idea about four I, three technique, five technique. If you could give us a little mini clinic, I'd appreciate it. Sure. It, it, it's all about where they line up, right? Um, if you're direct, the, the guy who lines up directly over the center is called the zero. That's that's, and then. As you move away from the zero, you go up in numbers. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way out to nine, right? Uh, so the, the nose tackle directly over the center is the zero. And then the gap in between the center and the right guard or center and the left guard is called the one. Uh, a nose tackle will often line up either over the center at the zero or at the one, which is the gap in between the center and the guard. The, uh, Three technique is between the guard and the tackle. The five technique is uh, on the outside shoulder of the tackle. The four technique is on the inside shoulder of the left tackle. So what you're going to see with Brockers is Brockers typically lines up on the inside shoulder of the tackle. So where he it will give him the opportunity to either engage the right tackle faster if he's in a run fit or he can also has access to the uh, gap between the tackle and guard if he needs to pass rush. With uh, the, the defensive tackle opposite him, they're going to be more of like a three technique or a five, which will put them in be- directly in between the guard and tackle or on the outside shoulder of, of the tackle. And then your Aquar and Flowers, those guys are going to be at the seven and the nine, which would be the seven would be in between the tackle and the tight end. The nine would be outside of the tight end. Hence, hence the term wide nine, right? Correct. 
<laughs> if we want to throw back to Jim Schwartz days. Yeah, and you'll see you'll see some nine in yeah. this. Like that's that's part of how this scheme is going to work, and, and and part of how three fours work is you're going to see times when they line up. Um, with two, with they're going to line Brockers up at the five instead of the four I, and then you're going to push the um, the outside linebackers to the nines, yep. and then uh, if you're trying to if if, if they want to spread out a little bit more, if they're not expecting a run, you're going to spread that front five out and try and uh, you know cover more of the passing lanes. There you go, nice little clinic there from Eric. <laughs> Appreciate the insight there, Eric, and appreciate the question there, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. It'll make it more fun to watch now. <laughs> exactly. All right. We are going to close things out with our final call-in line from our good friend. John is back. John, how you doing? John, it looks like you're muted. Are you there? Oh, maybe. Okay. There you go. Um, you had mentioned it a few minutes ago, talking about the health sciences and um, some of the new staff there. Um, that was one of my concerns, I guess, with the old regime, was that it just seemed there was a lot of goofy injuries, uh, even Tavai, you know, going the offensive lineman going uphill, a lot of dehydration on the field. Um, was that is was that a real issue? Like, that seemed like I was one of my bigger issues with the Patricia regime almost. It seemed like um, they had an odd thing about being physical, but being physically fit, but no one was, everyone was hurt all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good question, and it's hard to know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, and a lot of times, you know, you'll just get freak injuries, but I think there there does need to be a fair amount of questioning or, or maybe even direct criticism about, I mean, we all know, we all remember what happened that first offseason, right, where everyone was running like crazy, and, and veteran players were getting upset, and, and you know, they, they come out flat in the regular season, they come out flat in the preseason, everyone's wondering whether everyone's just overtired, and and Matt Patricia was certainly the kind of coach that just like he he hate he hated the new you know play practicing regulations where you know you aren't getting as much um, fully padded practices as you were in the past and things like that. So I think th- there certainly could be a case that he he overworked them at times in the off season and, and maybe even during the regular season. But I, I will also say like I've had face to face conversations with him about you know, med- medical science and things like that. And and he was a full proponent of it. And, and, you know, we, I've had conversations with him about hydration, as you mentioned, when that's, you know, that's a week long thing. Like you have to be hydrated in Tuesday. If you're going to be hydrated on Sunday, things like that, that I never thought about. Um, I had conversations with him about specifically, but in terms of like building a staff to do all that stuff as well, I think it's fair to say that this regime has already done more than they did. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think some of the injuries from last season also came about because of the COVID and sure. and and the lack of uh the, the the lack of them being able to practice early early on. You know, we didn't have spring camp, we didn't have mini camps, right? And and, and what we saw was a lot of um a lot of soft tissue injuries. Yep. And the 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 difficult thing with the soft tissue injuries is that if you don't let them properly heal, they they end up causing you to injure yourself in another manner. The best example is Jeff Akuda, who had a lingering injury and that injury caused 
in order to compensate for that injury, he was overdoing other other parts of his body, and then those parts of his body were getting injured. And so he had like a different injury like every week it seemed like because he never had he, his core you know, surgery, he, the core surgery he had in the off season, it just never healed. And so he never, his body was never able to properly be put together. So this season, I think you're going to see less of that because of those soft tissues, because we're, we're getting more back into a rhythm of slowly preparing your body. Um, you know, there also is, the, the players are also familiar with like how to handle the off season a little bit better because, Last season was just abruptly stopped, right? And so right. there was they, they would nobody really knew what was going on, and that led, I think, to a lot of injuries. But no, I agree with you. The the that Patricia's approach was was different. I can tell you from the the approach at minicamp was it was very vastly different to um, working within their sessions. Uh, with Patricia, it was seven minutes doing this and you're out. Next one. Seven minutes doing this, you're out. The next one, right? Uh, this wasn't like that. They spent like 30 minutes in one area and, and just focusing on one area and, and on one thing. And then the next one, it might be seven minutes and out. But then they'd spend like 20 minutes on the next one. So it, it, there wasn't this urgency to like be constantly moving between activities. They spent more time like coaching and focusing on uh, different aspects of of what they had slotted in, during practices, so it, it's there is a very different approach to conditioning and um, overworking or underworking uh, players during practice. And and just one small thing I want to add to there, um, just and, and I, maybe this is just me defending Matt Patricia too much, but like his, you know, he had that obsession with practicing outside, right? Like we all yeah. kind of made fun of him when the Lions didn't have another outdoor game the rest of the season. They played out in the snow, but that was that was to do with that had to do with injuries, right? That had to do with soft tissue things, the yeah. the, the turf being um, harder on the knees and joints than, than being out there on the, on the field. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to completely bury the, the previous regime for their, you know, their lack of caring about medicals, because I think that that couldn't be further from the truth. I just think, um, we're, we're, we're also just getting like, like we've said, like a little more transparency from this regime. So we have a better idea of what they are doing. Yeah. I, I, no, I was going to say, I think the addition of the staffs, um, yeah. we may not even see the results of the new staff additions um, in the strength and conditioning this year. It may take some time. Like this, this is a, this seems like more of a long-term process to try and keep these guys healthy. Yep. All right. We're going to close things up here in a second. There's a question in our, in our text chat here from Tyler. Yes. Will there be camps or anything for the public to attend this summer? It's a great question, Tyler. I don't have a direct answer for you yet. Um, but there was a news in Michigan this week that obviously, uh, COVID restrictions are, are starting to be rolled back. Um, which means, uh, if everything goes as planned, July 1st, they will allow uh, full capacity at outdoor and indoor events. Outdoor events starts June 1st. So theoretically speaking, if the Lions want to, they would be legally allowed to have a fully attended training camp. But we'll, we'll find out then. We don't even know the dates of training camp yet, but we will uh, obviously let you guys know when we know. Uh, but until then, uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with the main podcast on Monday night live on Twitch or on your t- podcast feed on Tuesday, and then we'll have a couple of first bites for you next week talking about some of the Lions draft class. So thanks for joining us today, everybody. We'll see you soon. It's chaos. Be kind. Thank <laughs> you.